just to let you know that today's episode includes a discussion about an experience of child sex abuse. Hi Dad. Hi Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? (laughs) Well, maybe in my head. The thing is though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. (laughs) Well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. And we have a very warm welcome to Becky Armstrong Corbett. Becky is a qualified psychotherapist and solution-focused clinical hypnotherapist. She's an ex-Jehovah's Witness and has given evidence at the Independent Inquiry into Child Sex Abuse in the UK, often called ICSA. Uh, Becky's also spoken about this issue on Channel 4 News, ITN, GB News and LBC and in the Independent Newspaper. Becky, thanks for coming on our show today and for being our guest. Hello, thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. Fantastic. Um, Maybe you could start a little bit by telling us about your background, Becky, how you grew up um, within the Jehovah's Witnesses and as, as much as you want to tell us about that, really. I was born and brought up by my parents, um, third generation. So it's a family business, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> um, parents were regular pioneers. Um, my father was asked to move into a congregation to kind of like help sort out some problems. And that's where I was um, um born and brought up they I wasn't planned um I found out okay. <laughs> um yeah so they were kind enough to stay there so that I could go through the schooling system and then as soon as I was 17 we got a pioneer assignment from Bethel and uh, then we moved to Warwickshire uh, I then had my own regular pioneer assignment um, from there, and my parents then went on to uh, be on the circuit. Um, and it was while I was growing up, um, I suppose at the age of 12, I started to um, maybe unravel some of, you know, the, the doctrine with, with Jehovah's Witnesses, um, because I was sexually abused from the age of 3 to 12. Um, three or four times a week and unusually uh, some of that used to take place within the kingdom hall during during meeting and being brought up with you know knowing that the holy spirit is from god and he doesn't allow this and that to happen without you know his say so he was made a ministerial servant while being an abuser so at 12 when that announcement was made and I had been praying to God to make him stop and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, You know, that was, I I suppose, that first thread um, of the jumper where you start unravelling, and and once you start, um, you know, you find more and more things, don't you? Mm. Um, But I I thought, well, maybe it was just me. 
so worked really, really hard. Let's be the best regular pioneer one can ever be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, found more and more sort of threads to unravel. And then eventually uh, found that I, I mean, I was one of six in my congregation alone, for example, that was, that was abused. Uh, and working with IGSA and, uh, you know, other mm. XJW groups, mm. you hear so much um, abuse within the within the JWs and and obviously with exert so much within other religions as well. Mm. And we're not we know it doesn't just it's not just religions that that mm. takes place. It's it's any organisation, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I, I I think there's certain conditions. Not just me, but I think this came out in the in the report. But there um, there seem to be certain conditions and. Um, things that the, the culture of the organization the culture of Jehovah's sure. Witnesses that that facilitate that um I don't know what your thoughts on are on that yes absolutely I think the 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 environment within Jehovah's Witnesses calling everybody your family makes mm. it very difficult because you don't want to believe that a family member uh mm. is is an abuser is a child molester for example and makes it much harder than if it was your neighbour or, or a stranger. Um, and I think, you know, it's an environment because there's this trust and we trust each other and we must love each other so much, put your life on the line, that um, it will attract people that mm. way um, mm. uh, to that environment. So, for example, my CID officer, I did take my abuser to court and he went to prison for nine counts of sexual assault but the CID officer I had uh, was explaining that there was a, a gen how hard they will work basically to get what they want right. and there was a man who saw that there was a vulnerable woman in this street and he worked very hard to build her trust up to the point of being able to get married and have his own child that he could abuse basically wow. uh, over the course of three years so you could see somebody coming in to any kind of religion mm. like the Jehovah's Witnesses and working the way up to mm. being an elder. Mm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because they can see it's yeah. a it's a it's mm. a perfect environment. Yeah. Um yeah. and and of course while you've still got this two witness rule, mm. um, which they don't need to use, they could use other scriptures, but while you've got that two witness rule uh, in place then um and and not referring straight away to the police then of course it's going to be kept in house and i think that's the problem isn't it yeah, as well yeah you know so for, for those of our listeners who perhaps don't um know about the two witness rule this is a a rule that applies to any sort of sexual abuse in that for the perpetrator to be held accountable within the congregation there has to be two witnesses um to this act which of course is well i'll leave you to, to uh, maybe tell us what you think to that but uh. <laughs> i mean when i mean obviously there are um abusers that that video what they do and then they they get paid mm. but when does a child molester do it in front of an audience it, ju it just doesn't happen does it no 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 um, i was gonna say um to what reason do you think that they are still clinging on to this rule? Um, because it seems like, you know, 
obviously it's a ter- it's a terrible rule for ethical reasons and it seems like a terrible rule for PR reasons as well so like why do you think they're still clinging on to it it's a very good question and I think that's that question was raised beautifully I think very similar to that with uh, with the ARC inquiry the Australian Royal Commission um, that was looking into um, you know, childhood sexual abuse within organisations, and of course, the Jehovah's Witnesses were um, in that inquiry. Um, and and there, the solicitor—I um, can't remember his name now—but he was he was brilliant. He he gave them so many other scriptures mm-hmm. that they could use, and they they didn't use it. I wonder if it it's, it makes me wonder, to be absolutely honest with you, if. Um, the people at the top don't want this law changed because that will inhibit their activity. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason I can think of. Because why wouldn't you listen and protect children? Yeah. Either yeah, that or I, they're incredibly stubborn. I, I think I you know. I think that's me. that's definitely a possibility too. Um, I, you know, obviously we don't know, do we? We don't know the motivations, but is a, it is a very good question. I think, I think there's also a, a kind of, there is an arrogance and a um, unwillingness to allow the world to tell Absolutely. God's organisation, you know, how to handle anything. So, you know, why would we listen to what the world says about this thing? Yeah, is is I think the way that they would see it, and um, and also maybe. It's a bit like the blood issue in that um, it also opens the door up to um, historical claims. Really, if if as soon as they say, "Well, actually, we're going to change this rule," then people, you know, will say, "Well, how come?" You know, twenty years ago, ten years ago, five years ago, it was different. Yes, I think that's a, a very very valid point. Um, the repercussions of people saying, "Well, I've been damaged by the old rule." That's right. Yeah. That's right. So they kind of set up a trap, and this is the problem with any organisation that claims to to be representing God in any way is that you know you you tie yourself to these things that become a bit of a millstone, I think, yeah. around the neck. So who knows? I mean, we we simply don't know what the um, what the motivations are. That and also, to me, it kind of lends into because I have questions around kind of like victim blaming culture um, and. To me, you know, it means that ultimately the organisation isn't trusting when someone comes forward. Do you know what I mean? And ultimately, mm. that it, it does feel like that that that's a culture that must be rife even more than is already in you know the wider society or you know in as I'd say like the worldly world. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think it's. I mean, they did change. You know. Change is possible. I mean, for example, mm. I had to sit in front of um, the process that they have is I had to sit in front of the elders. Once I, I had told my parents a tiny little bit at 12 because they, they saw my reaction when he was made a minister or servant. So I told them a tiny little bit of what happened. Um, and my parents believed me straight away. Um, but the process was that I had to sit in front of these men uh, elders as they're called um, leaders of the congregation elders as Jehovah's Witnesses call them <clears throat> and explain what happened mm. as a 12 year old on your own with no mum 
That's shocking, isn't it? You already dislike men, to be honest with you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sorry, Stephen. I don't now. But you already no, dislike men. Um, and, and, and have to explain, you know, uh, that was just awful. And, of course, at that time, the next process, the next step in the process was that I had to then do that in front of the perpetrator as well. And, of course, he would deny it. Therefore... It's, it's, it's brushed aside. My parents wouldn't allow me to get to that stage because they knew that he would deny it. And right. I think they were worried that that would absolutely destroy my faith. Mm. Um, mm. So they've changed that process slightly now. Mm. Um, maybe because of pressure. I don't know. But it does show that they could do that. It's a very good point. It's a very good point. Yeah. yeah, yeah because yeah. the psychological, like, ramifications of doing that to somebody i mean is just ridiculous and just Mm. an awful thing to put somebody through um how they could have ever ever thought that was a good idea i know i don't understand Mm. again it feels like a way to get a victim to to not talk about it yes you know because it's like why would i come forward if i have to go through this process knowing what that process is Yes, and sometimes you find that with companies, don't you? You know, a very large company, you've got an issue with a delivery, for an exam- for example, and now you need to talk to somebody. So you're you're searching through the website, you're going through every part of their menu, you're trying to actually talk to someone. And then when you finally manage to talk to someone, you know, I actually said today, it, it's almost like you've gone out of your way to make yeah. it as hard as possible. <laughs> Um, for me to, to because you don't want to deal with complaints you know yeah. so I, I agree it's, it's it's almost like well if we put all these steps in place maybe it makes it really difficult mm. and then we don't have to deal with it and it'll all go away I don't know uh, one of the other things that they <clears throat> if I remember rightly at the um, Australian Royal Commission they suggested that and and again like you I was I was quite impressed by how how much they were trying to put a, an off ramp there for the witnesses. It was like a, you know, what about if you try this? And so they, they said, well, you know, um, using or, or getting women in the congregation to not necessarily to be a, um, an elder or to, to judge in these matters, but actually to support and help and, you know, um, but they just, they just were not interested in, in what would seem like a really obvious uh, and very useful thing to do. Absolutely, I agree with you on that. I actually thought at the time that it's almost like he was saying, look, how can we work with you? You know, here we are trying to meet you halfway. Mm. Come, yeah. come and work with us. That's right. You know, we, we recognise, it's almost like, you know, Art was saying, we recognise you've got your rules, that's fine. You have yeah. your rules, but, but let's protect children, shall we? How can yeah. we work with you so that you're happy within your, your rules? Maybe you can uh, adapt things, change things a little bit. But, yeah. you know, ultimately, surely, if you really believe in God and Jesus, you know, when you look at Jesus, he mm. had the children around him. He clearly was approachable. So surely you want to have a process that's approachable and loving for children. And that's what that, that's what I thought, you know, is almost the message that they, that they were trying to get across. But it was almost like folded arms, shoulders yes. back, yes. and stubborn little boy mm. not moving, you know, was kind of... They, 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 it was I really damaging, though, to them, wasn't it? it was I think um, so many people 
who talked to us have said that that was the the thing that really did wake uh, it just shocked them really seeing a yeah. governing body member talk like that mm. it's shocking though to watch someone look on to look attacked when you're coming to them about you know issues such as these Do you know what i mean it's like yeah you can't expect not to have to answer for those things i don't know if they just because you they must have you feel like it must have been something they knew would be coming eventually you know having numbers of people leaving they do know the actual figures um you know of, of instances that you know maybe were being like were definitely being hidden and things like that so surely they mm. knew this storm was coming but like you said the the way that they've confronted it has just been atrocious mm. yeah i think possibly egos involved there mm. You know, if you've got an ego problem, if, if, you know, a human being's got an ego problem or they're slightly narcissistic, mm. um, they sometimes think they're untouchable, mm. don't they? Um, yeah. Well, we're God's organisations. Uh, yes. you know, we don't have yeah. to answer to anybody. Yes. And why would you? Mm. It's all, do you know what I mean? It's, it's almost like it's a, a, a sort of a narcissistic ego type thing going on there. I mean, it, if you think about it, it I mean, it, we just sort of, I think we get used to, the, to it really. But if you think about what the actual governing body are saying, then they are claiming to be, and this Jeffrey Jackson, Jackson denied this, of course, but famously, but they say regularly that they are the only avenue through which the sovereign of the universe is contacting humanity. So it's it's through Jehovah's Witnesses governing body these what are they eight men now however yeah. many um and it comes through them i mean you've got to have pretty a pretty big ego haven't you to um, think, yeah. to actually believe that in fact i think it's quite interesting if you were to take that as a single person mm. if a single person was to claim that yeah right i mean i've worked in psychiatry liaison at a big university hospital so if somebody claimed they were God's spokesman, yes, <laughs> you know, they came into the hospital and they yeah. claimed all of those things, mm. we'd be like, hmm, maybe this person needs to have a psych evaluation. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, if, if I started to say, well, I don't know the answer for that right now, but um, I'm going to give you that food in the proper time. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I, I declare that I now know the answer to this question. Um, yeah, absolutely. You'd... Um, You'd have some very serious questions about me, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Becky, we we didn't um, obviously we don't want to only talk about this issue because you have such an interesting life, and you've done done such a um, a brilliant thing since leaving. So um, let's let's move a little bit and in in your your story. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, th- this is a terrible thing that's happened to you, and you've you've had this awful. Uh, situation where you have to talk about it to the elders and all of that um from what i understand you you, it takes you a while then to actually leave yes Um, how do you end up leaving the organization what happens in between how does that how does that kind of all work for you um so my mother um ended up having two rare brain tumors uh quite young and um it was during the time that I was nursing and looking after her that I found out that uh, my perpetrator uh, had moved to congregation and they had not warned any of the um, 
families in that congregation mm. um, that there was a child molester in their midst. Now, <clears throat> he had had a suspended sentence at that point because two other people had taken him to court and he had a suspended right. sentence because he had a disabled wife and he was the carer. And that really concerned me because I was doing, I was working for the NHS at that point in time and there's lots of different safety measures, there's lots of different things that you have to do when you work for the NHS and there's lots of procedures in place should somebody say something to you to you that you feel is going to put either them or somebody else in an unsafe situation there's procedures in place and i kind of was having this conversation with my dad but my, my dad was very annoyed uh, i have to say that they hadn't warned uh, so mm. he did something about mm. that but nevertheless he'd never reported this to, to the police he got in touch with um bethel at the time and he knew people in Bethel and they just yeah. said, I'll just take him to the corner. So I just started really unraveling a lot of stuff. I started drip feeding my husband little bits and pieces. Uh, I was careful in some of the research that I did because I was obviously worried I'd got two children at home. Mm. And um, eventually they brought out a watchtower, I think with the timeline of the wheat in the weeds where they changed the prophecy they changed what the actual scripture said right. and my husband was an elder and um used for like keynote addresses and stuff like that he was a mm -hmm. very good teacher he used to take the watchtower each week and he had major problems with that particular mm -hmm. uh, you know thing and and said to my dad i can't teach this because it's <laughs> not right and this was to me, music to my ears because it, mm. it now meant that it was going to make it easier for me to leave. Um, so my husband and I left in 2013. Our children stayed in. My mm. youngest is now out. My oldest is not. And he, because I, I said I did say to my dad, I've got to leave to take him to court. Yeah. Right. I have to leave to take him to court. Okay. Because he is, he's free. He had been disfellowshipped, but you know, he 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 was now reinstated, mm. and he was free. He could move to any congregation, and nobody would know. And I knew that if I went through this procedure, um, and it went to court, that at least mm. he'd be on the sex offenders register, and there'd be mm. procedures in place and stuff like that. But I also knew that by doing that, my family would shun me and reject me. So I left with my husband not disfellowshipped, not disassociated, haven't yep. broken any of their rules, but my son got married and I wasn't allowed to go and I didn't know where it was and I don't know where he lives and even though he used to work with children and, and totally mm. understands the process mm. of mm. how to look after children. Um, so I, I wanted then at that point to use my experience to try and help others. So, got involved with the Truth Project, got involved with ICSA, mm -hmm. um, tried to speak out about the fact that there is no law in this country to protect children, which is ridiculous <laughs> when you think this, about it. Is this then um, the, it not being mandatory to report um, child abuse? Is that absolutely. what you're referring to, Becky? Yeah. 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 So, is that still the case? Absolutely, it is. 
Yeah. So people think if 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 a child tells a teacher, then there's procedures in place. There is within the school system to an extent. Yes, and a, and a teacher might or a doctor, for example, might be struck off or might have some kind of ramifications because of the ethical bodies or whatever that they're a member of. Mm. But there's no, there's no law that means that they would be prosecuted. There's no law that the police could use if they didn't report what a child had said to them. There's no law that the police mm. can use to prosecute. So um, that's ridiculous. So uh, um, a teacher or, or a priest or a religious figure or anybody um, that's told about it and they decide not to report that to the police, there's there's no comeback for them. They, they, they can basically make that decision themselves. Yes. But like I say, as a therapist myself, yeah, I would be you know I, I probably wouldn't be able to get insurance from yeah sure. practice anymore but in terms but, of the law the but in terms of the law yeah yes yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. and there are about 80 jurisdictions in the world that have some form of mandatory reporting but in the uk there's there's none the uh the, the, the other thing about this um so correct me if i'm wrong here becky but as um so jehovah's witnesses um make a very uh a statement that is is actually quite misleading in that they they say they they report abusers or any case of abuse but they make this caveat where required by the authorities so basically that means that if you happen to live in a country where it is required then obviously they they do that they follow those rules but if you live in a country like the uk that doesn't have that requirement then they are not guaranteeing that they are going to report that to the authorities. Is that is that the, the, the stance? Yes, that's right. So they don't have to report it yeah. because there's no law in this country. The only time... Um, so if an elder, uh, a leader of the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, hears about childhood sexual abuse, the instructions are that they have to ring the legal department of Bethel. Yeah. And the legal department, as far as I am aware, will um, try to establish whether there is somebody that's vulnerable that could be, and then they may recommend that they get in touch with the police. But we all know statistically, and if if anybody does their research, that people don't report childhood sexual abuse until they're much, much older. So the chances are there isn't anybody that's vulnerable, if that makes sense. Is there a child that is vulnerable in this particular case? And, and usually it's it's an adult that's reporting. Yeah, yeah I think, I mean, when we spoke to another one of our guests, um, Donna, she said there was like a sort of family friend and she spoke in hypotheticals to him saying, if this happened mm. to somebody... Um, what what advice should I give them? Or it's like my my friend, you know, and it was quite obvious. And he said to her, basically, because um, she'd moved congregations, I think, at this point, so she wasn't near this man anymore. And he basically said, it'll be awful and don't, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know. And and because um, I think he, like, because it, it had been in the past and he was, she was, she wasn't angry at this particular man, in the sense but she was just sad looking back on it that even you know then like yeah knowing that if she reports it yeah it'll probably hit a dead end quite quickly in the way you've just described it because it's like oh it's in the past now it's done 
it would just yeah. make things difficult for you basically mm. is what he was saying yeah yeah I mean my my dad said to me when I said I'm really sorry but you know you're you're processing your religion now and he was looking at me because I was saying his religion mm. mine <clears throat> is um he's not protecting children um and he he said well can't you leave it alone if you do this you're taking another jw to court and yeah. i've just yeah. lost yeah. my wife and now i'm losing you oh well thanks for that <laughs> you know, that's, that's no. another one of those cultural reasons isn't yeah, it why it's, 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 as well yeah. People kept saying, don't take a brother to court. Yeah. To her. Yeah. Mm. I did find something very interesting when I was working with Ixa. I, I, I met somebody from the Jewish Orthodox, and they have the two witness rule. Uh, what's interesting about the way they use it is the two witness rule has to be men, has to be two men. Oh, oh crumbs. So uh, it could have been worse. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so you, you, you leave because you know you've got to do this um, this thing. Mm. And then um, you have a uh, – I suppose this is where our podcast generally tends to pick up the story, um, which is how do you make sense of life afterwards, you know, outside this organization and make sense of who you are and all of that. So um, you, you've come a long way. You're now a, a professional – mental health uh, provider and you you know you, you do all this work how have you done that how what happened in between so I left and I um, gave all my evidence to the police had a nervous breakdown I'd been self-harming since since I was seven anyways away coping but had a nervous breakdown after giving my evidence because I realized <clears throat> I needed to do it but I've lost my family hmm. Um, so that impacted me, uh, received some help for the first time because obviously you can't go for therapy because you don't want to bring Jehovah's name into disrepute. So got some therapy, um, became interested in mental health in the brain, trained to be a mental health peer support worker, uh, made some friends and, um, worked within the NHS and then that wasn't enough. I needed to know a bit more. <laughs> so uh, did the current training that uh, to, to bring me to, to where I am now. And I think what's really important, and I have noticed that not everybody does that, leaving any high control religion is not enough. You need to start doing critical thinking mm. over everything. Who you are, what your purpose in life is now, what do you want to do, what clothes are you wearing, why are you wearing them, what music are you listening to, why are you listening to it, what books do you want to read, what films do you want to read, what kind of friends do you want to have, you know, all of those things. And and if you've been brought up that the Bible is God's word, right, well, let's start looking at it as if it's a book made by man and let's look for evidence to support that because that's what we've been doing with the other way so politics how do I feel about politics I haven't been allowed to think about politics right so how do we feel about it you've really got to start doing things that you would have done at puberty that's right adolescence yeah yeah Mm. and that is I think 
some people leave and think that's enough and then they, they, they hear about a conspiracy theory or something else and they'll go off down that little route because they feel nice and special um, and that fits with where they've been or they get triggered by things that are going on currently in the world that triggers their thinking into or oh, maybe I should go back to my religion because you know maybe this is part of the prophecy that they were all talking yeah. about because they haven't done critical thinking and they haven't really established who they really are and actually it's not a scary journey yes it's a lot of hard work but it's so super exciting because here you are at 20 30 40 50 60 sometimes in your 80s able to discover things about yourself that have been lying dormant that you've suppressed you know and and that's also a way of getting over the trauma uh, Mm. of having all of those feelings and thoughts suppressed by being in a in a high control situation uh, so that's uh, what we did. I, I mean, that's fantastic, Becca. Um, that's that's kind of we should have you at the beginning of our podcast talking like that because that's pretty much the uh, very definition of uh, of our podcast. It's what we are trying to do, you know. So you know, what 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 do I think about this thing? What do I think about that thing? And yeah, it's, and it is exciting actually. Um, Super a bit overwhelming at times, but um, yeah. it's also very exciting. Yeah, totally yeah, great. yeah, absolutely. Just you know we are all indoctrinated to a certain extent you know um celine you'll be indoctrinated in, into doing things certain ways because that's how your family do them do you know what i mean that that's kind of becomes your core belief um and and then we just sort of dismiss other things that come in or we might leave home and we might discover another way of doing it no actually i get the same result and that's perfectly fine you know not going to fall out with my mum or dad over that um and that's just a normal process but it's stifled within a high control religion you know um and uh, it's just an exciting thing to be able to think about what your core beliefs are well why have i got them (laughs) so um obviously you're you're a professional so um let's if we can pick your brains a little bit about that process so um how it's an area that i'm i'm interested in as well but i don't okay. come from a um a clinical or a, or a therapeutic um direction um so it's very interesting and one of the questions that i'm really interested in is um our concept of self and who we are a lot of the literature certainly the popular books talk about people getting sucked into cults and how they're recruited mm. and how they then have to when they leave they have to kind of return to their other self their their former self and uh, get rid of this cult self and all of that but for born-ins like us it's a bit it's a bit different isn't it because we we haven't had that or it's not quite so obvious how do you help people to kind of come to terms with that and how do you help them to understand that uh it's a different process for each individual really um each client i have they tell me what their next steps are i don't do that um so they tell me what what it is that they want to be able to to achieve um and then we look at that we realize where they are now um where do you want to be and it might be a case of, I want to wear the clothes that I want to wear, and I want to wear them walking down the street with my head held high. Okay, fantastic. What's the first step that you can take towards that amazing goal? You know, And then they'll think of something that they can do 
and then they'll tell me and then we'll work on that um, and sometimes it is somebody saying to me I want to be able to walk down the street proud of the fact that I am wearing this particular outfit maybe they maybe they're a goth maybe they like short skirts and plunging mm. necklines you know whatever it might be you know mm. they want to be able to walk down the street wearing that with pride whatever their style is so it's finding out what their style is first just using this as an example yeah. and then being able to wear that style with pride because the thing is they might meet some former members of their congregation and they don't want to lower their head and they don't want to look ashamed they want to be who they really are and sometimes it starts with something as small as that and we work on that and we build up on that and then once they've worked on that oh now they've got something else they want to work on and now it's something else you okay. know and now they're they're flying because they're their own person and they really don't care because they recognize that these individuals have no power that's interesting okay so the the power the power thing is quite an important question isn't it so um do you want to talk a little bit about that so in in, in the organization or any sort of coercive relationship there's a there's a very important power differential that's going on there isn't there yeah yeah and i think <clears throat> people are frightened of the elders and, and frightened yeah. of you know because we've been brought up in an environment where have you seen what she's wearing and then you're in the library yes. you're in the mm -hmm. back room you're being spoken to by mm -hmm. by the elders it's a very very judgmental society and actually i think what it I would liken it to is living in Germany during the war and and you're a spy <laughs> you know yeah. or you're, you're you're very worried that anything you do might be misconstrued by other people and then you're reported to the Gestapo um, and so it's helping people realize that they actually don't have that power yes the Gestapo did but actually Jehovah's Witnesses, the elders and the individuals, they don't have any power whatsoever. It's made up in their head. There's yeah. no proof that God is speaking through them. So it's made up in their head. Once they start doing that critical thinking, then they can start to feel, oh yeah, they're just ordinary people. They're just Joe Bloggs. And and they, you know, they actually walk down the street feeling very proud of who they are you know once they've been working on those small things does that make sense it does and it, it rem it's reminded me of the thing i was going to ask you about um actually because one of the the things that um i think problems with going you know just referring back to the child sex abuse thing um is that the elders the I mean, forget the governing body for a moment. The, sure. the, the, the vast majority of people's Jehovah's Witnesses con connections and contacts are with the local body of elders um, yeah. who are completely unqualified oh, yeah. to do any of this stuff, you know, and yet they do hold this, this position of great power. At least people give them this power. They, they are projected as, as really spiritual men, you know, and um, we don't want to get told off by the, coordinator or whatever you know and it's yeah. it it feels like they're really important people they're vips you know but they're not they are just actually normal people with normal jobs yeah. often not very well educated because no. jehovah's witnesses don't educate their people very well and yet they have this this power over people 
Yeah, and it's interesting. I heard somebody make a comment. Now, I have friends that are window cleaners, okay? And I totally respect their profession. Mm -hmm. So I just want to make that clear before I say this. Uh, what job you have is, is, is amazing, and I'm not going to disrespect it. But this person's made a very interesting point that the majority of elders in the Jehovah's Witnesses are jumped up window cleaners. Because as you said, Jehovah's Witnesses do not like their children going to university. Now we can see why, because if you go to university, yeah, you're going to be absolutely. taught to do critical thinking, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and therefore you're going to be low paid, you're not going to be educated, well you can be told what to do. And so this, being an elder, is is the the only place or the own the closest they can get to being an executive or a CEO Absolutely. of anything, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. You're absolutely right. And it's a greasy pole that um, as a man, you can, you can climb in the organization. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is the only greasy pole really for most. Yeah. Uh, most See, women don't have that either. So um, for women, you know, your, your options are very much restricted. Um, well, you're considered, yeah to remember your place and if um you are cleverer than your um as in that you know lovely um speech that gets passed around a lot if you are cleverer than your husband pretend not to be <laughs> yes you're know, the weaker vessel know that. Weak yeah exactly vessel, yeah, yeah. but yeah. i do love that they caveat it with a lot of the time girl realizes she's smarter than boy but she she knows to keep quiet about it <laughs> Yeah. Oh, don't even so, um, started yeah, on that let's one. Not, uh, let's not get ourselves <laughs> angry. Um, so Save that tell, for another day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell us about um, hypnotherapy. So this is one of the things I, I said I wanted to talk to you about, um, Becky, because yeah. um, uh, I said to you, I've studied um, psychology um, up to master's level for, well, six years undergraduate and then master's at two years. So I've been doing it for eight years and I still don't understand hypnotherapy or hypnosis at all right, we didn't okay. really study it believe yep. it or not um so so what is it what is it mm -hmm. and and how can it help um and i i i'm a bit of a skeptic in a way so you, you know sure. convince me why why how does it work okay so we go into trance every six to eight minutes a day every single person so we've been on, I don't know, 44 minutes. I can't do maths very well. So work out how many times we've all gone in and out of trance. Okay. So when you look up the word trance, there's lots of other meanings for it. There's trance, there's daydreaming, mm. there's zoning out, I think is like a yeah. modern expression. Mm. And we do that every six to eight minutes. So there's a part of me, slightly digressing, that thinks that children shouldn't be told off for daydreaming, actually, because it's mm. very good for you. It's quite, natural. it's quite natural and it actually gives you a little bit of a break it helps you yeah. to absorb what's going on around you sometimes you can be slightly overwhelmed and you're zoning out now Stephen do you drive I do Celine do you drive mm -hmm. yeah, do. okay so how many times have you two pulled up outside your house and thought oh I'm home do you know what I don't remember the last five to ten minutes of my journey <laughs> Yeah, pretty often. Stephen? Yeah, isn't that just the unconscious, though? Isn't that your kind of autopilot just, just working? How is that trance? So, that is you in trance. 
Okay. Okay? So you're in trance when you were driving, but... Or daydreaming. But what if a dog or a child had run out in front of you? What would you have done? Yeah, you, 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 your executive function comes back in, doesn't it? Then you. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because who's in control? Mm. You are. Mm. Even though you were in trance, you were still in control. Now, if the t- you know, if you're watching the TV and you zone out of that, and your phone goes, you pick your phone up. You know, even though you were daydreaming, you pick your phone up now because you know you're in control, mm. even though you're in trance. Mm. So. When you've learned to drive, you've learned to drive, that's in your subconscious. You've mm. learned that. It's there. You can do it without even having to think about it. You know, we call it autopilot. That's deep yeah. down inside your subconscious. Now, why I use hypnotherapy? So, first of all, you, we've just established that we all go into trance. Yeah. And we've just established that whenever we are in trance, we are in control. Nobody else, we are. Now, the reason I use hypnotherapy with my talking therapy is because it speeds the process up of recovery or whatever it is that you you want to do. Now, when we go to sleep, we go into what we call REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. And in that process, we move the things that have been part of our day, we move them from either exactly how it happened during the day or it might be a metaphor for what happened during the day either in clear or or metaphor Uh, we move them from an emotional memory to the left prefrontal cortex so from the hippocampus from that area of the brain and we move it to the left prefrontal cortex and when we're in the left prefrontal cortex now we're in a situation where we can have control over our memories so it now becomes a narrative that we can control so that's why sometimes we can have a little problem we're thinking about it my grandma used to say go to bed and think Mm. about it go to bed and sleep on it you'll Mm. have the answer in the morning Mm. and we very often will wake up and we'll have the solution because Mm. of that process of REM sleep when we're in REM sleep that process happens and we've moved things to there and now we're able to think of solutions to our problems so by doing hypnotherapy creating that relaxed state um we've done lots of brain imaging and all that Mm. sort of thing you're helping the client to get into a state that's very similar to REM so you're moving some of their emotions from one part of their brain to another part of their brain if you like where they can control it and now you're also opening up their subconscious brain that really does know who they are remember once we've learned how to drive we can do it automatically so that subconscious knows who we really are and so we'll work out a solution to the problem so it speeds up the whole process because you're giving them almost like REM like sleep does that make so, sense yeah so I've got a question so tell okay. me if I'm completely um, at the wrong uh, uh, I might not know the answer. Just yeah, warning no, <laughs> <laughs> So, are, are, are we saying then that essentially by moving these, uh, let's call them memories or these ways of thinking, um, we're we're taking it from a very kind of emotional response to a more 
kind of um, analytical way of thinking and looking at the problem as opposed yeah. to just responding emotionally is that yes. is that part of what you're trying to do so if, if I'm frightened of something if it's something that's got a very deep uh, I've got fear or phobia or something like that I might go through that process so that I can essentially look at it from a, a more objective yeah. perspective and sort of look at it from a more rational logical perspective is that is that what yeah is, yeah that's, yeah that's very good yeah so okay. you know for example yes it, a phobia would work like that you, you you know you you might not ever like say you say you were uh, frightened of spiders for example yeah. and they were it was impacting on your life uh, to the point where you you know you're absolutely terrified you're throwing up when you're seeing a spider or whatever else mm. um and you you have the therapy you might never get to a stage where you think oh come to me little spider aren't you gorgeous <laughs> um you, you you but it won't be impacting on your life to that extent you'll just be like oh i don't mm. like them but i'm not throwing up anymore and i'm i'm sure. you know i can i can put it in a in a container and i can take it out now you know um yeah. because you you've got your more logical brain involved yeah so what about someone like me who uh, i've 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 primed you for this so you know this is queen but um who i can't be hypnotized i don't seem to be able to be hypnotized that's um, that that's not uh true <laughs> anyone can so i have treated um children and mm. children won't lie down and close their eyes you don't have to yeah. close your eyes um the child was 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 running around the room had three sessions and was able to be fine and could take you know could tell you everything that i had said so you know remember you you go into trance even while you're driving and doing something yeah so i guess it's 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 probably my my expectations of what it was going to be so i went i think i mentioned yes and i think that's so important because Mm. there are different types you know you can have speedy hypnotherapy where you think you're going to be knocked out Mm. or you can have hypnotherapy that just relaxes you but i think if you've got an analytical brain then what i would do with somebody like you is i would give you things to think about that you can't work out and so you would just give up and then you just relax I think that sounds like a really clever tactic. I'd, I'd, I'd like to have a go at that. Yeah, because I, I went to a hypnotherapist um, for a while. And I actually found it quite useful in that he was somebody to talk to. And um, before and after the hypnosis, we, we'd we have a good chat. And actually, I quite enjoyed that. But I never felt like I'd, I'd been hypnotized. As he was doing his um, script thing, I, I was just thinking about what he was doing. And um, it never quite... But then it, that's probably, as, as you say, I was expecting something that it, it wasn't really. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Yeah. I think it's important to, 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 to know what to expect. Yeah. And I think it's also important to understand what kind of person's in front of you. So my husband's very much the same. Yeah. Um, if I'm hypnotizing him, he's thinking about the words that I'm using mm. and then what am I doing? So because he's got an analytical brain and he's a pedant as well. So um, <laughs> I'd like him, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think you would actually. You definitely, definitely have him on because he's, he's yeah. great. Um, and I would say that if he was in the room, um, that he's a pedant. And... Um, so yes, I, I use a technique on him that just I give him some maths maths things mm. to sort out that there's no answer to, and so he just gives up, and relaxes, and and, right. and you know comes around and goes, oh, 
Mm. That was good. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so, I'm really yeah. intrigued, actually. I'm really intrigued. Mm-hmm. Uh, Celine, I've, I've hogged the conversation. Uh, what, what have you uh, got to ask, Becky? Yeah, well, I, spoke, um, I was just thinking, so do you think um, hypnotherapy particularly suits certain um, like situations more than others, or do you think it's kind of always beneficial in a therapeutic setting, or what, what do you think? Uh, I think hypnotherapy is is fantastic um, mm-hmm. because we can use self hypnosis on ourselves. Mm-hmm. On ourselves, um, remember this is not like stage hypnotherapy where mm-hmm. it's you know this is something that's different where you're trying to change your mindset perhaps or your habits or your views on things. And don't forget there are some hospitals that use hypnotherapy to um, act like anaesthesia. Mm-hmm. So the power of the brain is huge and that's what you're tapping into when you use hypnotherapy. Um, I think if somebody come, came to me and was like, I can't be hypnotised, absolutely can't be hypnotised and I don't think this is going to work in any way, shape or form, it's not going to work. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's true of any therapy. I mean, I've been involved with different types of therapy and and I think that's true of of anyone if you if you work hard and you believe it then you know there's there's nothing that you can't can't do with hypnotherapy um mm. you know I, I i've got friends that have used it for self-hypnosis while they've had a root canal filling with no anesthetic wow. that sounds like a superpower i'm really i'm really <laughs> uh Really intrigued. I um, really dislike the dentist. That sounds like a nightmare. That's so. <laughs> yeah, really important to know: yeah. is the brain can't tell the difference between imagination and reality, mm-hmm. and that's that's the power, isn't it? So it's tapping yeah. into that, taking yourself off somewhere else, and using yeah. that mm-hmm. power, and believing that you yeah. can do that with your brain. I have seen some people using it for, um, like, uh, giving birth, actually, hip, hypnobirthing. And that's that's right. Been really, really it's amazing. Useful. Yeah. yeah. Like this one was like I was just imagining I was on the Alps. It was great. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, and she she was like because she'd had a really traumatic first birth, um, and she discovered hypnobirthing. She's like, oh, the second was amazing. Mm. Like barely, like you know, it was obviously there was obviously pain, but she wasn't. She only used gas and air, and that was it with yeah. hypnobirthing. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds sounds amazing, really. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah. one of the one of the things uh, your particular um, methodology is um, uh, you describe it as solution focused. So rather than kind of um, always going back on on all the things, so I think a lot of people think that therapy is going to be having to revisit everything, and that mm-hmm. may or may not yeah. be true, might it? Um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I don't, I do mm-hmm. not revisit uh, the trauma at all if anybody comes to see me. So yeah. you know, my my niche is. Um, is trauma is people that have experienced CSA. Sometimes I've, I've had business women who, who want to tweak a, a certain aspect of, of themselves. They haven't had trauma, mm. or people that have, have left a religious cult. So yeah. we start with where where you are right now. Yeah. You know, on where do you want to be? Right. How do we get you there? Because yeah. when you think about, well, I I have never gone back to my past mm. at all, and I can talk about any aspect of my abuse without bursting into tears and going into a snivelling heat because I'm healed mm. from it. Mm. And that is without having to revisit the past. Um, because all it does is re-traumatise. But when you think about when you're taking a journey, 
and you take a wrong turn because you didn't listen to sat-nav because you were chatting to whoever and you go oh, blow I should have gone left and here I am I've gone right you don't sit there analyzing where did you go wrong why did you go wrong how did that happen mm. you just go okay we've taken a wrong turn what's the next step we need to do and life's a journey don't mm. need to waste that time revisiting um, that's, and I think that's, that's really really important because some people just yeah. reject therapy because they just don't want to be re-traumatized. So that's very different to the sort of Freudian approach where you're yeah. thinking about your childhood and yes. all of that. So it's a very different animal. More Ericksonian, I would say. Ericksonian, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. We um, one of the things that you said to us before we started was um, was you like uh, you know we like metaphors, oh, and yes. uh, and you had uh, prepared one for I us have. Uh, about uh, well you tell us what it's about. Okay, so um, my my I I have my few sort of like ideas, and then my husband is brilliant at sort of putting them all together. So thank you, Duncan. So it's a metaphor about critical thinking. Okay. Particularly with what's going on with uh, regard to Ukraine at the moment, mm. and there's lots of religious people that are concerned about King of the North, King of the South, mm-hmm. getting a bit triggered. So, the drain is blocked. So, when there's heavy rain, it can't cope, and there's a flood. Mm-hmm. Now, you can take a broom and you can sweep the water away, and you can wait for it to dry. But if the drain remains blocked, then the next time there's heavy rain, there's going to be a flood again. And you're not going to resolve the problem for good unless you remove the blockage. If your brain is geared towards interpreting every news item as a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, it will have been programmed that way if you're an XJW or an X this, mm. that or the other, then you will be triggered whenever world events appear to match your expectations. 1986, UN International Year of Peace. 1990, Gulf War 1, 2003, Gulf War 2, 2019, Do that analysis and realise that this is just the way things go. Nothing to do with prophecy, just human nature. If you examine history, you realise there are many more significant events that happened before your lifetime. The Black Death killed a third of the population of Europe. Covid is actually just a sneeze by comparison. Two world wars, Spanish flu, League of Nations created, United Nations created. Once you realise that history repeats itself and is entirely disconnected from so-called prophecy, the news can just drain away without causing a flood. (laughs) Brilliant. I love that. I I feel like we just shouldn't say anything else and just have the the music playing out there. That was uh, fantastic. I really like that. I really enjoyed talking to you today, Becky. Um, Oh, thank you so much. I'm sure you agree. (laughs) Yeah. Is there anything we've missed? Anything you really wanted to say and uh, we forgot to ask or too rubbish to ask? Oh no, I don't think so. I mean, it's your show, and um, you know, it's 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 whatever topics that that, that you mm. wanted. Really, that's the important thing. I was just, I suppose, I was just conscious of the fact that 
you know it's it's hope and and you know um I know you want, and I, and I obviously want that uh, a message of hope out there that that this can happen, and it's getting that balance, isn't it? This can happen in your life, and it can be pretty, pretty awful. But actually, yeah. you know, um, this is the message of hope that that you can recover, you can retrain. You've retrained, yeah. you know, I've retrained, mm. and and here we are, actually living life and and trying to make a a difference to other people. So. Yeah, uh, that's. I think you've hit that note fantastically today. I mean, um, I think it's very, very important that um, you know we we try to get the balance of we talk about what's happened and we talk about Jehovah's Witnesses and other yeah. groups, and uh, it's no good pretending that that isn't there. But yeah, there's um, there's so much, uh, so many interesting things to understand about the world it is the whole world you know I, i've talked about music and uh, we talk about films and stuff and as as you leave the organization or any cult where you're denied a lot of those cultural things yeah. you then start to discover them and it's almost like you're living life in reverse a little bit you know so you i watched the life of brian for the first time like oh last, it's amazing month, isn't it you know. yeah um, <laughs> I mean, it's quite old and dated, I suppose, in many ways. Oh, but totally. Like, yeah, cringeworthy in some moments, isn't it? it? Is. But, oh, my goodness. But, you know, that, that's the thing. At 50-odd, I can I can still be discovering stuff that everybody else knows. You know, we, you know, we watched the Harry Potter movies. We decided yeah. when we left we were going to watch all the Harry mm. Potter movies, watched all the Harry Potter movies, and guess what? No big bolts of lightning came down and consumed us. No, <laughs> and neither did vases fall off the table. No. I was quite disappointed. <laughs> Nothing was possessed. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great. Thank you ever so, ever so much for asking me out. It's been great. <laughs> We've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for being our guest today, mm-hmm. Becky Armstrong Corbett. You're welcome. Thank you. What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production. 